Hello, this is Dr. Pengxian Qian, the Editor-in-Chief of Heart Rhythm. Thank you for listening to this podcast, summarizing the December 2019 issue of the journal. This issue focuses on devices. The proximal left bundle branch, or LBB, runs through the left ventricular septum and fans out to form a wider target for pacing than his bundle does. LBB pacing can be achieved by transeptal placement of a pacing lead into the left ventricular septal subendocardium in the LBB region. The first section of this focus issue includes five manuscripts on pacing either the left bundle branch or the area of the left bundle branch. The featured article is left bundle branch pacing for symptomatic bradycardia. Implant Success Rate, Safety, and Pacing Characteristics by Li et al. from Fuwai Hospital, Beijing. An interview with the corresponding author, conducted by our online editor, Dr. Daniel Morin, can be found at the www.heartrhythmjournal.com website. This prospective study evaluated 87 patients undergoing pacemaker implantation. The authors found that in patients with standard bradycardia pacing indications, LBB pacing results in QRS duration of less than 120 milliseconds in 80% of the patients, and it can be performed successfully and safely in the majority of patients. A second paper was written by a different Dr. Lee, but also from Fuwai Hospital. There was no overlap of patients between these two papers' cohorts. This paper is titled Permanent Left Bundle Branch Area Pacing for Atrial Ventricular Block, Feasibility, Safety, and Acute Effect. The paper included 33 AV block patients with indications for ventricular pacing. LBB pacing was successfully performed in 90% of patients with low, acute, and three months follow-up capture thresholds. The average paced QRS duration was less than 120 milliseconds. The only complication was one ventricular septal lead perforation. A third article is by Vijay Yaraman et al. from Geisinger Heart Institute, Pennsylvania, USA, titled Prospective Evaluation of Feasibility, Electrophysiologic, and Echocardiographic Characteristics of Left Bundle Branch Area Pacing. Patients required pacing for bradycardia or heart failure indications were prospectively enrolled. LBB pacing was successful in 93 of the 100 patients. Paced QRS duration averaged 136 milliseconds. Patient threshold at the implant averaged 0.6 volts and the R wave were 10 millivolts. They remained stable at a median follow-up of three months. A fourth article is titled Cardiac Resynchronization Therapy by Left Bundle Branch Area Pacing in Heart Failure Patients with Left Bundle Branch Block by Zhang et al. from Shanghai Chest Hospital, China. The study included 11 consecutive heart failure patients with reduced left ventricular ejection fraction and left bundle branch block. LBB pacing significantly shortened the average QRS duration from 180 milliseconds to 129 milliseconds, and an average follow-up of 6.7 months. 
NYHA functional class plus plasma levels of B-type natriuretic peptide, LV insystolic diameter, and LV ejection fraction were all significantly improved. The authors conclude that LBB pacing can be used for cardiac resynchronization and improve clinical symptoms while affecting LV reverse remodeling. A fifth article is by Wei Jiang Huang et al. from the first affiliated hospital of Wenzhou Medical University, Wenzhou, China. Dr. Huang was the first to report successful LBB pacing. His manuscript is a hands-on article titled A Beginner's Guide to Permanent Left Bundle Branch Pacing. Together, these five articles show that LBB pacing can be achieved in 80 to 90% of the patients with low pacing thresholds at short-term follow-up and good clinical effects. It can be used for resynchronization therapy for heart failure. Data on longer-term follow-up will be needed to determine the benefit versus risk in different patient populations. The second section of this focus issue is on his bundle pacing. Wupadei et al. from University of Chicago wrote an article titled On Treatment Comparison Between Corrective His Bundle Pacing and Biventricular Pacing for Cardiac Resynchronization, a Secondary Analysis of His Sync. Among 41 patients enrolled in the His Sync study, 21 were randomized to his CRT and 20 to BIV CRT. Crossover occurred in 48% of patients randomized to his CRT and 26% of the BIV CRT group. S treated analysis rather than per protocol analysis was performed. Patients who received his CRT demonstrated greater QRS narrowing compared to BIV CRT. A trend toward higher echocardiographic response was also observed. While this positive on-treatment analysis in, is encouraging, the high crossover rate prevented the trial from achieving positive outcomes based on intention-to-treat analysis. This data showed that his bundle pacing to be a very reasonable first implant technique for CRT. Jastrzewski et al. from Jagiellonian University, Krakow, Poland, wrote the following article titled, His Bundle was shorter, Has Shorter Chronaxi Than Adjacent Ventricular Myocardium, Implications for Pacemaker Programming. The chronaxi is a tissue-specific measure that is used to describe the relative excitability of the tissue. It is defined as the pulse duration at which the voltage required for capture is twice the real base. The authors studied strength duration curves for permanent selective and non-selective his bundle pacing in 127 patients. They found that the average his bundle chronoxy of 0.47 milliseconds was shorter than the RV chronoxy of 0.79 79 milliseconds. Selective his bundle capture and the battery longevity 
can be promoted by shorter pulse duration, that is 0.2 milliseconds. Longer pulse duration at 1.0 milliseconds offer bigger safety margin for RV capture and may be preferable if simultaneous RV capture during his bundle pacing is desired. These results have significant implications for programming pacemakers using his bundle pacing. The next article is titled Electrical Parameters with His Bundle Pacing Considerations for Automated Programming, written by Starr et al. from University Hospital of Geneva, Switzerland. They studied 50 patients and found that his bundle pacing thresholds were significantly lower during unipolar pacing compared to bipolar pacing. The his pace to right ventricular uh, sense intervals were measured at 40 to 150 milliseconds with the longest de delays seen in patients with uncorrected right bundle branch block and selective his capture. This data could serve to configure automated programming settings to simplify management of his bundle pacing. Next up is permanent his bundle pacing using stylet directed active fixation leads placed via coronary sinus sheaths as compared to conventional luminless system by Olaf et al. from Stewart St. Elizabeth Medical Center in Boston. Stylet-driven active fixation leads were attempted in 27 patients to achieve his bundle pacing. The success rate was 89% compared to 88% in the comparison luminous lead group. The fluoroscopy time was comparable, but the acute pacing threshold was significantly higher in the stylus-driven than the luminous lead group. And this difference remained stable at eight months. This data showed that stylus-driven leads de delivered through various shaped coronary sinus guide casters is a viable alternative method for permanent his bundle pacing, though in this study, the capture threshold was higher using stylet-driven leads. Cho et al. from Asang Medical Center, Republic of Korea, wrote the following article titled, Surcharge Parahitian Septal Pacing Through the Septal Perforator Branch of the Great Cardiac Vein, Bedside to Bench Development of a novel technique in the lead. This technique uses the septal perforator branch of the anterior interventricular vein for electrode insertion to achieve parahesian pacing. The authors tested surclutch parahesian septal pacing in seven patients and showed that it is feasible approach to achieve physiological pacing. This new method could be investigated as an alternative to direct right-sided approaches to his bundle pacing. The next article is post-operative period prescription patterns and the new opioid refills following cardiac implantable electronic device procedures written by Lee et al. from Mayo Clinic, Arizona. A total of 16,000 patients who underwent CIED procedures were retrospectively studied. They found 
that the opiate prescription rate after CIED procedures was 20%, with most of these patients being opiate naive. Among opiate naive patients who received opiates, 9.4% had subsequent opiate refills. In view of the opioid epidemic, these findings suggest that perioperative pain management in CIED procedures warrants meticulous attention. Next up is management of anticoagulation in patients undergoing leadless pacemaker implantation by San Antonio et al. from University of Barcelona, Spain. This study included 107 consecutive patients receiving the micro transvenous pacing device. Among them, 40% of patients received anticoagulants following implantation. Of these, only two patients presented with hemorrhagic or thromboembolic complications during short-term follow-up. The authors conclude that bleeding and the thromboembolic complications after receiving microtransvenous pacing system implants are infrequent with proper perioperative man uh, management anticoagulation does not increase the complications associated with the procedure. The next article is detection of high-frequency artifact as a function of pulse generator algorithms and outer insulation material by Narui et al. from Vanderbilt University. A high-rate malfunction, predominantly intermittent high-frequency artifacts, has been recently reported in Abbott Medical Tendril pacing leads. The authors retrospectively reviewed institutional data of the Medtronic Capture Fix 5076 and Abbott Medical Tendril Pace Sense leads. In a multivariate analysis, they found that Abbott Medical Pacemaker and Defibrillator Pulse Generators, but not Abbott Pacing leads are associated with an increased instance of recorded high-frequency artifacts. This suggests that ABOT generators detect high-frequency artifacts on many leads, even without an overt fracture or insulation breach. This issue also included papers unrelated to devices. The first one is titled Isolated Very Low QRS Voltage in the Frontal Leads predicts recurrence of neurally mediated syncope by Blandy et al. from the Massachusetts General Hospital, Boston. Very low voltage is defined by a QRS complex of less than or equal to 0.3 millivolt in one of the frontal leads on the 12-lead ECG. The authors studied 205 patients with a median of three syncopal episodes. The actuarial total syncope recurrence rate at one year was 32% in patients with isolated very low voltage in frontal plane leads and 14% in patients without them. This phenomenon may help generate new diagnostic tools and insights into the pathogenesis of neurally mediated syncope. However, the mechanisms of these findings remain unknown. The next article is the outcomes of patients with functional single ventricular heart uh, after pacemaker implantation. One makes poor 
and what can we do? By Kodama et al. from Fukuoka Children's Hospital, Japan. They performed a retrospective chart review of patients with single ventricle who had undergone permanent pacemaker implantation. Pacing leads were placed epicardially in all patients. The authors found that no patient died in the atrial pacing or low percent ventricular pacing groups, whereas the survival rate in the high ventricular pacing group was only 58% at 10 years after pacemaker implantation and only 39% after 20 years. A higher proportion of ventricular pacing was also associated with higher plasma BMP levels, probably due to ventricular desynchrony. Whether or not resynchronization therapy could improve the outcomes of these patients remains unknown. Liu et al. from my research laboratory at Indiana University wrote the following article titled The Effects of anesthetic and sedative agents on sympathetic nerve activity. We directly recorded nerve activity from dogs and humans during sedation and anesthesia. We found that dexmedetomidine, morphine, and hydromorphine suppress sympathetic nerve activity and decrease blood pressure and heart rate. Midazolam had no significant effect on nerve activity. In patients undergoing cardioversion, bolus propofol administrating significantly suppressed skin sympathetic nerve activity. We conclude that propofol, methohexital, dexmedetomidine, morphine, and hydromorphone suppressed sympathetic nerve activity, but the midazolam had no significant effect on sympathetic tone. These findings may have implications on arrhythmia induction during EP studies. Next up is a paper titled High-Resolution, Real-Time, and Non-Fluoroscopic Three-Dimensional Cardiac Imaging and Caster Navigation in Humans Using a Novel Dielectric-Based System by Romanov et al. from, uh, from Michalski Hospital, Novosibirsk, Russia. The authors developed a real-time in vivo cardiac mapping and a navigation system that registers shifting voltage and electric field measurements as electrode-containing casters move within an electric field produced by removable body surface patches. This process rapidly generates high-resolution 3D images of cardiac anatomy. The authors used force wine to perform validation studies showing that the system accurately detects caster location and can generate high-resolution images without the need for pre-acquired imaging, specialty casters, or a point-by-point -point mapping procedure. This technology may be useful in caster ablation procedures. This issue's HRS 40th anniversary viewpoint was written by Dr. Albert Waldo of the University Hospital's Cleveland Medical Center. It is titled, A Warm Stroll Down Cardiac Electrophysiology Lane. Dr. Waldo is a founding member of the NASPI. His viewpoint described the early days of the NASPI and its scientific meetings, and how he and others have shaped the, the development of clinical cardiac electrophysiology.
The final article is a viewpoint titled Cardioversion and Reduced Dose Direct Oral Anticoagulants, DOAX. Are we confident? Written by Leshen et al. from Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center, Harvard Medical School, Boston. The authors discussed the knowledge gap related to cardioversion in patients taking reduced dose DOAX. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. For Heart Rhythm, I'm Editor-in-Chief Dr. Pinxian Chen.